Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast from Taylor's Media. I'm Andy Davis. This is episode 16. Hope everyone is well. I've had a bit of a break for a week from this podcast, so it's good to be back. I'm still in my loft, and if you listen carefully, you can probably hear the rhythmic drumming of the rain on the roof and also the annoying whine of my 10-year-old son playing Pokemon with his friend via FaceTime. Although I'm not sure shouting gotta catch them all is the best thing in the middle of a global pandemic. But anyway, as always, a great couple of guests with really interesting stories to tell this episode. Firstly, we have Darren Walker from Langs in Inverurie up in Scotland, a fantastic business that does kitchens and bathrooms, but actually won the Bathroom Retailer of the Year and Bathroom Showroom of the Year at our awards back at the start of March. So really interesting to hear his perspective on everything that is happening. Then we've got David Knight, who is the MD of premium appliance brand Vizug in the UK. They pulled out of the UK market a couple of years ago because of Brexit uncertainty, remember that? But now they're coming back in the middle of the coronavirus situation, so we'll hear just how they plan to do it. Also, as always, I want to know how you're doing. I really want to get some interesting stories and points of view on this podcast. So are you seeing new inquiries on new ways of dealing with clients working out for you? Please get in touch. Find me on LinkedIn as Andrew Davis at Taylorist Media or email me andrewdavis at taylorlistmedia.com and that email address, as always, is in the episode description. And here's your shameless plug for us, Taylor's Media. And today I'm going to point you towards our other podcast, the Kitchen and Bathroom Design Podcast, where we have a new episode up. It's all about blurred spaces, the concept that looks at how the lines between work, leisure and home are all, well, blurring. And what that means for kitchen and bathroom design is really interesting, so it's definitely worth a listen. As are the 25 or so previous episodes, so if you're interested in kitchen and bathroom design, go to podcast.kbbreview.com or search kitchen and bathroom design in your podcast app, and the links are in the episode description. Right, let's go up to Scotland again now for a double award-winning retailer. We've got Darren Walker from Langs up in Inverurie. Are you there, Darren? Yes, I'm here. How are you doing today? I'm all right, sir. It's a lovely day. It's fantastic to speak with you. Now, back at our awards in March, you won the double. You won the Bathroom Retailer of the Year and the Bathroom Showroom of the Year. And that double doesn't happen very often, so congratulations to you again for that. Oh, thank you very much. And well done to all the finalists. We were gobsmacked to win both, to be honest. So thank you very much. I think it's fantastic that you're willing to share some of your thoughts on what's happening with this right now. Now, for those that aren't familiar with you, give us a little bit of the background. I mean, it's a very long background on Langs, isn't it? But give us a little bit of the background of where you are, what you do, and how you're set up. We're 158 years old, historically a plumbing company, the oldest business in our town. We got into bathrooms in the early 80s, kitchens in the 90s. Uh, mainly retail, and then we started doing contracts around 2000, and contracts is now about 40% of the business. And we also have a sister showroom that does low to mid-end products called Lanes Direct Line. So it means that within the one premises, we've got something at every budget, and we can service uh, retail and contracts and trade, trying to tick all the boxes, you know. So it's quite a big business, isn't it, as far as kind of independent retail goes? Yeah, it's, it's grown a bit over the years. Sales have dropped over the last four, maybe with the, with the local economy here, the drop in oil, that hit us. So the last four or five years has probably been quite a bumpy road. So things just felt like they were stabilising again. And then now we've got the coronavirus. So it's certainly been a bumpy road. We do quite, uh, quite big installations as well, Andy. We do, in the retail side, about 80% of what we do is fully installed. Yeah, because your tagline is inspiration to installation, isn't it? Which I, was quite, I found quite nice. 
Now, I'm assuming, I'm asking this as everyone's, let's see where you're up to. What is your current status? I'm assuming you're all shut down, locked down and at home, but give us an idea of where you're up to. So we, on the, was it the, the 24th, we, well, the, the Monday night, we just, we went with the government's advice and we just completely closed the showroom in the warehouse. Um, over the following maybe week, uh, some of the team leads stayed on just to, you know, deal with urgencies. Um, uh, we had to finish off a few private jobs if it was the only washing facility in the house or maybe the only cooking a, cooking facility. So we had to finish off some essential work, but by the Friday we were, you know, fully locked down. Um, at the moment we've, we've got um, four people working from home and the premises are closed. And I felt that was the right thing to do initially because everything was just so raw and so numb. I don't think a, a phone call chasing up a quote or anything would have been well received. So we're kind of playing April is full lockdown and we're hoping from sometime maybe mid-May we'll be allowed a skeleton staff back, I'm hoping. Maybe one person per office, something like that, with a view to maybe fully staffed early June. That's our kind of loose thinking. Um, it's likely tomorrow it'll be extended another three weeks, so that might tie in with like the mid-May skeleton staff returning. Um, so, so that's what we're kind of basing it on. So are you getting inquiries in? Are you are you having any communication with, with c- potential customers at all? Um, I'm monitoring the, the emails coming in. So there's been, oh, I could count on one hand probably how many new inquiries there's been. And there's, again, there's been some customers looking for their designs, but very little. It wouldn't be, like so far, it wouldn't be worth having, you know, MD working on the designs as such. But I think that's about to change. In the last few days, I've seen a slight pickup. So we're looking to start introducing designers doing remote designs again. I just felt in the first two, three weeks, the right thing to do was just to kind of do, do the lockdown, you know. Yes, and I think that's that's about protecting your own staff uh, and understanding how they might feel about what's going on, but also about, as you said, getting the tone right with any potential customers. We're communicating with everyone, and there's been, you know, there's been two, three things that have been seen as, as an urgency, whether it's a delivery or a collection or something. So we've managed to satisfy the customers that we're phoning. I think just around about now would be the right time to start reaching out again and, and trying to look after the pipeline. And I think maybe after three weeks, people are now beginning to think what they're doing and how they're going forward. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, how the talk is beginning to change, the national mood is beginning to change to to when do we get out of this, or when they start seeing other, other countries that are ahead of us in terms of the, the, the virus are starting to very slowly unpick their lockdowns. And so people's minds suddenly start changing to what happens the other side of it, don't they? Uh, absolutely. I think, as a, like for a start, as I say, it was all just too raw. But I just think now people are maybe getting restless or they've spent two, three weeks in their house and they're maybe thinking, right, okay, we'll go ahead with this or what we're going to do this year. So I think it's going to change a bit and people, as you say, are going to start thinking like what we're doing in June. So, yeah, I think we'll see a change in the next few days. So I'm hoping we can staff up a bit, certainly do as much as we can from home. But hopefully we'll be allowed maybe one person per office within the next two to three weeks. We're also planning on how quickly, just this morning, how quickly we can get deliveries out of our warehouse. Because that's been building up. There was a lot came in before we closed. Obviously, there's not much going out. So we're trying to put a plan in place. It might be that for the first week or two, it'll be a door closed 
operation in the warehouse and we'll just be focused on getting goods out before we take goods in to create space and create invoices. So we're just looking at that just now as well. Like a lot of other retailers, and obviously these are at different scales for different people, but you, you, as you said, you deal a lot in, in the commercial arm of things as well. What are you seeing in that side of things too? Because there's been a lot of debate about construction sites and whether they should or shouldn't be open. What's your view on that? Well, I was just on the phone to one of our customers this morning. They're, they're hoping to be back on site early May. It's just a question, is it, you know, is it the first week May or mid-May? And, and we really don't know, but the sooner the better, and that's why we're preparing our deliveries to go out to them. In fact, I've got a sizable delivery coming in today and tomorrow. But for the construction sites, I think they locked down pretty quickly. I think, they, well, the ones in our area, they all followed the same government guidance in the, in the shutdown. But they are hoping to open, well, May time. There is argument of, well, I've had some trade guys on the phone. They're maybe working in a single derelict project. Whether they should be there or not is a different story. I do know that the police put another customer off-site that we're trying to work on. You know, even if it was one guy in one property, he, he was put off-site by the police. So, Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see whether everyone just goes back to the site and picks the tools up and carries on like nothing happened, or whether some of the big economic uh, news that's coming out over the last day or so will really affect how those big construction companies and the big merchants operate going forward. Oh, definitely. I think they're hoping to go back, stick into the guidelines, and I don't know how they do that, if they're just going to have one person per, per plot maybe, or one person per apartment. I'm sure they'll have all the facilities and gloves and, and all that. But, yeah, it'll be interesting. I suppose as long as they've got... They'll probably focus on the houses that are due to be handed over. A lot of them have their year end, April, May, June. So they'll probably focus on getting houses finished that are almost complete with just, like, maybe one tradesman per plot. Now, look, Darren, you're, one of the things I've always liked about the way you run your business is you're very sort of disciplined and you have a lot of planning. Uh, you really work out exactly what works and what doesn't, and you're prepared to change things if they don't. You know, you've got time. You're sat at home. I'm not suggesting you, you're, not, you're doing nothing. But you, what are you planning for what, how your business might change in the sort of short, medium, and long term? What are you working yeah. on right now? Well, to be honest, I haven't had much time because there's only four of us working at the moment. I've actually been flat out. I was hoping to have lots of time, but what we're planning on is keeping our existing pipeline. And so we're just moving the dates of all the supply and fit, all the supply and fit projects we've got on our books just now. We're just keeping in touch with them, moving their dates along, keeping in touch with the supply only because a lot of the projects will be delayed. So we're keeping in touch with them. We're working on our marketing campaign because there's a fair chance there's going to be, if there's some kind of recession afterwards, we need to make sure we're competitive. And so we're putting packages together to cater for that. And also we need to, we're having a close look at the workload because we've quite a lot of designers and we've quite a big team, but will there be workload for them all when we're back? So we're keeping a close eye on that. But I think coming up with packages that will suit the market when we come out the other side is going to be important. I don't expect you to give all your straight secrets away here, but what kind of things do those packages have and what do they look like? Some of the first things we'd be looking to do is use the stock that we've already got because it's on the shelf. So if somebody's maybe not going on holiday anymore. They're, you know, the holidays will be cancelled. They might look, look for something quickly. So we would use the stock on the shelf, save lead times. I'm sure deliveries will be extended as well. So I think we'll try and maximise what we can do with the stock that we've got. And we'll do installation packages as well because we've got all our own installers. So we need to keep them all busy. I'm hoping we'll be busy when we first go live because we had a very strong January, February. Things were just beginning to pick up. 
Right. So we just need to make sure that we can keep the installation board full. Yeah, the concern is people might not want to be spending, but I'm hoping that some people will maybe be exchanging a holiday for a, a new bathroom or a kitchen, or some of them is certainly. That is what a lot of people are saying, and I, and, I, and I think there's a lot of validity to that. I think what's going to be interesting is the lag. At what point mm-hmm. do they start making actual decisions to part with some money? It's how long can lots of people see out up to a point where the people that are who want new kitchens and bathrooms are going to part with some money? Oh, I know, I know. And that's the bet, I guess. None of us really know. I suppose we need to prepare for the worst and, and have packages that we can offer, you know. Without a doubt, it'll be... There'll be a lot of uncertainty for everyone, I suppose. Right now, we're trying to focus on when we do go live again, we, we hit the ground running as best we can with the workload that we had teed up before the lockdown and have different packages that we can offer customers for when we're live again. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the next few months roll out. Hopefully, if we can get back some kind of normality relatively soon, it won't be so bad. I think the, the question is, if it, if it drags out longer than we're expecting, then you know it might be tougher. Yeah, and I think that's where everyone's got one eye on Italy and Spain and these countries that are a few weeks ahead of us in, yeah. in the effect of the virus. But, the, you know, there's some good news, or some good news, is any of this good news, but there's some positive news when you look at those countries. So maybe, just maybe, the kind of timescales that you're looking at are very realistic. It'll be interesting to know when customers can come back into the showroom. You know, we can do so much remotely. You know, virtual worlds are are working with us so that we can, you know, you can work remotely with your customers and, you know, you can do Skype, you've got Zoom, so we can do all that. But it'll be interesting to know when the, the public are allowed back in the showroom. I mean, before the lockdown, we had, we already put in place two metre distance, all the hand gels at every door. We had all the doors jammed open, if you like, so you don't have to touch door handles. So we took all those measures and, and hopefully if we take those measures when things are relaxed, so that customers can have a two-metre distance, you know, maybe they'll be allowed back in. But it'll be interesting to see how, when retailers can open again. There's a lot we can do remotely as well, you know, business development and things like that. Can you see a permanent change taking place within this sector on remote meetings with clients? This has been a, a big leap forward for a lot of people very quickly, that they can have conversations with clients through, through things like Zoom. Do you think that's a permanent thing that people might adopt? bound to and, and and it's a positive as well you know it's it's probably something suppliers could adopt as well and save a lot of fuel and time for customers definitely i think it'll be a learning curve for everyone just showing what you can do remotely and be more efficient as well a lot of our customers you know they may be in a, re- a remote location or they work offshore so you know you can have meetings like that so yeah there, there will always be positives come out of it and lessons learned definitely well, look, Darren, thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with us today. It's fascinating to hear how a business like yours is operating under these uh, conditions. Now, at the end of every one of these podcasts, at the end of every one of these interviews, I ask people the same question, and it is the most important question of all. It's for a feature I'm, I call Deserted Kitchen Island Discs. I want to know what your most positive, feel-good song is. Oh, probably Queen, nothing can stop you now. Oh, you know what? You're the third person to have that. <laughs> this is officially top yeah. of the chart so far. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Well, that is an excellent choice. It is currently the front runner. I was hoping you'd do the Proclaimers or something, Darren. I was hoping you'd. Ah. I was hoping you'd yeah. go all nationalistic on me. <laughs> no, I'm sure we'd have a few, but that's certainly one that gets me gets me going. Want to thank you again for the for the awards and and say well done to the finalists as well. Well, look, thank you, Darren. It's very well deserved, and hopefully you'll be defending it next year. Yeah, you're hoping. Thanks for your time, mate. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye now. Cheers. Bye bye. 
Okay, we've got another really interesting supplier story to tell now because we've got a brand that is relaunching itself back into the UK market and what a time to do it. So down the line we've got, I hope, David Knight, who's the MD of Vizug in the UK. David, are you there? Good morning, Andrew. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. For those that may be unfamiliar with Vizug, the brand, and obviously we have bathroom people here as well, just give us a little bit of an overview of the brand and what it's all about. So we're part of the Metal Zug Group, which has been a family-owned business for over 100 years in the heart of Switzerland. And we are V-Zug, so V, v means Verzinkel, which is uh, for galvanising, which is our history from 1913, and obviously Zug from where we actually manufacture our products. So these are premium cooking appliances, aren't they? Yes, we make in cooking, laundry, cooling, we make in all those categories, and we're 1.2 billion Swiss franc business. So we're a significant business and second in the market share in Switzerland. Right. Now, what's interesting about this as a brand, it's been uh, around the UK for quite some time. But mm-hmm. One of the things that makes this a very interesting story now is that obviously the, the brand pulled out of the UK around about the middle of 2018, didn't it? Basically saying Brexit. Brexit was causing it too much grief and it was time to come out of the UK. Is that a very uh, crude summing up of what happened? Yeah, it certainly was. And at those at that time, the business was making some fundamental changes to the business. What's actually changed the business now, we've we've got a, a leadership group that reports directly onto the board in Switzerland. And the decision at that time was right at that time, but the structure has changed. And the reason the structure has changed is because the brand is being is internationalizing itself. So only 10% of the business is currently international. And we're growing massively in big project markets in the Far East. And London is a big project market and is also a key market within Europe. So we recognise that as being a mistake in 2018 and it was a short-sighted view of how the brand needs to look into the future. I mean, it's a very kind of glass is half full, glass is half empty kind of approach, isn't it? I mean, which side do you fall on? At the time, I think most people could understand why a Swiss brand was pulling out of the UK given the, the, the uncertainty that was happening at that time around Brexit. But that seems a very long time ago now, <laughs> to, to say the least. So what you've done is you, you look like you've, you've chosen the most difficult possible time to come back into the market, given everything that's happening right now. So talk us through that decision. Yeah, so, so firstly, there's a lot of synergy between Switzerland and the UK in terms of working with Europe, but not uh, in Europe. So the synergy is actually very good. So ironically, it's ironic and bad decision originally. But in terms of coming back into the marketplace at this time, you know, I joined the business in December last year, and the strategy that I've got signed off is a five-year strategy built on team growth. In terms of the, sort of the visa and Swiss values, it's always about long-term. It's about being prudent, thinking about how you do it in the longer term and the sustainable business. So it isn't ideal. The times are really tough at the moment from a human impact perspective, but also from a business perspective. But, but it, it's what it is, and the way the brand has geared itself is to look further forward rather than the short term. And in the, in the future, there's opportunity, and, and it'll be, it basically will be pent-up demand for the future that will happen. So we're not thinking about this year so much as more than two or three years' time. So sustainable growth is the, is the key message from us. Forgive me for mentioning another appliance brand mm. in this conversation, but I had a sort of similar yes. conversation with David Wolcott from Fisher & Paykel. Mm. You know, there's a yeah. certain level, you, you are going into a market here that is 
Um, you've got very high quality products, and there's no question about that. But you're going into a market that is dominated by you know big German appliance manufacturers. But it, it's whether or not you're going into showrooms or, or retailers that w- will be less willing to change because of the uncertainty that's happening, or the uncertainty or the time that they are given here is making them look at their businesses very closely, and they might be much more open to trying new brands or, or putting new displays in. I think you've got to look at this from the consumer perspective. If you look at consumers, discerning consumers don't don't want to have what everybody else has got. I think that's one factor. I do recognise the German dominance in the marketplace, and I recognise their strength and their quality. But from the from a brand perspective, we're 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 a niche luxury brand. We're not a brand that's mass market. So there is a space for us to to actually work within. And I genuinely believe from a partnership with customers and with with project partners and KRC partners. The opportunity there is for looking for something different. We create a product that's designed for, um, it's simple to, to look at, but quality in terms of design. And it's not designed to dominate the kitchen. It's designed to complement the kitchen from a brand perspective. So there's a natural space for us within the marketplace. And we, we do know that from demand and, and from consumers who all actually live in Switzerland, but also have a residence in the UK. That's one factor, but also from the fact of our market research shows there is a place for us, so there's, there's good opportunity. Well, let's be honest. If you have a place in Switzerland and a place in the UK, you've got plenty of money, haven't you? There's a, there's a, reason, you've put, there's a reason you've picked Switzerland. That's all I'm saying. Well, there, you know, there's, in Zug, where our, our beautiful home in Zug, which is a stunning place, just an hour outside Zurich, there is a large expat community. Um, yeah. So there are a lot of people who, who do actually have work on both sides, and we're, we're part of the British... Uh, Swiss Chamber of Commerce and there's a lot of crossover from a banking perspective and lots of other factors so we know there's a, there's a natural link between the two the two marketplaces and the two consumers. Okay so let's talk a little bit about planning because obviously you, you talk about your five-year plan there but really realistically that's all been thrown up in the air hasn't it? Uh, it's been thrown up in the air in terms of in terms of where we currently sit so we've had to put things on hold so you know I was actively in the recruitment phase you know recruiting people to join the business We've already got a service network that's already established in the UK, but we were building, uh, looking to build a team and how we were going to do that. The plan to put a Zugarama, which is our, our showroom in London, will still happen, but that will be within the next 18 months rather than within the year. And it's basically what I would say is a pause. It's not a stop, it's a pause in terms of what we're having to do, and that's been forced upon us. It is going to be it's pushing our plans back slightly, but I don't think it changes the overall objective and plans we have in place because they're robust and they're balanced. They're not unrealistic in terms of our ambition. That is a danger, isn't it? That it, you know, a market was the market was looking reasonably healthy, the property market was looking reasonably healthy, and then this you know no one can predict this, of course. Uh, and some of the forecasts that have been coming out of, of the big economic uh, bodies over the last couple of days could make for quite terrifying viewing for anyone trying to break into a market. Uh, totally. And, and if you look at the news, the media, and you look at the... I, I saw this morning the, the economy was expected to shrink by 13%, which would be going back, you know, even before pre-war times. And those sort of statistics are quite frightening. And there's different things you can look at. You know, what you have to look at is, is how, how that has got a balanced view between the two. There is still money and there are still people with money, I think it's just going to literally pause a lot of things in the economy. I think, from my perspective, it's about confidence and it's about belief. If you look at the marketplace itself, if you look at KRT partners, some are actually actively engaging with 
consumers still, and consumers are at home. So if you look at what's happening at home, most people are at home. If you like myself, you're you're at home more, so therefore you're doing more stuff around your home. There's opportunity for people start to reflect and think, okay, I might invest in my home rather than, than take a holiday this year or do different things this year. So potentially there's different types of money available. And I come from a positive view to think that the fact that there are opportunities and there'll still be people who want to buy, it'll just be a level of cautiousness and other say consumer confidence that will affect this year. Um, and we have to look on the positive side of that. Yes, and I think, you know, there's no other option to take other than to be positive at this stage. I think, you know, mm-hmm. as I've said many times on here, I think once there's a psychological barrier crossed of the peak of the of the problem, I think that is when the the theory of pent up demand will be will be tested because people only then will they start seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, yeah, and I, I concur with that. I think the human impact of this, and you know, in terms of that, and also the business impact. We don't know where that sits. I think you know we have to to see where it goes. I a lot of news I see is a lot of negative. Of course, it's negative and it's, it's supposed to be that way. But you have to look at it from the balance view and think, okay, how robust is is the economy and how robust is what's going in terms of what people are and how their jobs are. That's that's the key factor for me. And I think from that perspective, you you have to pay a waiting game in terms of what you do. You know, I'm fortunate to work for a Swiss company that that. You know, from a cash flow perspective, is is very, very balanced and very cautious and very careful and very focused on how it's done. And we will support retailers how we need to support retailers to work their way through to to get back to where they need to be. So we have a balanced view, and that's why I take the the overall arching view to say, look, let's just be clear that it's going to be the future is is going to be better. It's just we've got to work our way through these current uncertainties at the moment. You've been around the industry uh, a long time. That sounds like an insult. Thank you. I mean, that, I mean that in the most positive possible way. Can you th- think there might be any sort of long-term effects on the retail market in the UK for kitchens because of this? For example, one of the things I'm, I've been talking to people about is a sort of rapid acceleration of remote meetings with clients, for example, that a lot of retailers would never even dreamed of before, but now suddenly they're all experts in Zoom. I think it's an opportunity, I think, from the marketplace to reshape and think, do I... You know, from a manufacturing perspective, you know, could you have that meeting remotely or do you need to drive in your car, impact on the environment and, and go in, and go and see that particular customer? There'll be a case for that, but there's a balance, balance you necessarily not always. But also with, with consumers having, being time poor, which is a common situation, to have a full view of looking at what that kitchen could look like in, in a virtual way has to be a benefit because it allows them the opportunity to see to see and be inspired. So I think from this and going forward, I think it's an opportunity for, for technology to have a bigger part and, and be more effective in of how people use their time and, and make things more uh, efficient for themselves. And what role can the manufacturers and suppliers play in that, do you think? I think we can, we can be better at how we supply, whether it's content, whether it's you know, how, we, how you view appliances, how you can demonstrate appliances and, and whether it's short one-minute insights into products and how those features become huge benefits for customers in a way that can be served that's more consumer-friendly. And that's really important from the technology perspective and, and from a virtual sort of information perspective. So I think we can be better at that. And I think as a brand, we're recognizing that. Um, we're doing workshops with my global colleagues across the world in different parts like China and Singapore where we're thinking, okay, how do we inspire consumers 
through different types of media, whether it be social media, where it's not just about cooking and it's not just about appliances. It's much more inspirational in terms of how you serve that content and which way you serve it. So there is a there's a way to go on that, but I think there'll be a lot of good that comes from from this current situation and in that in that particular field. Yes, I think in particular moving away from a very static brochure style way of presenting products as you describe them, I think that's one of the things that we will see a bit of a, 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 an evolutionary leap forward here. Yeah, I do. I think there is there is a place for a brochure at a particular point, but I think moving into into the world of actually how can you how can you actually access that information in a, in, in a better way has got to be better for everybody and certainly better for the environment. Yes, which has taken a bit of a backseat while all this is going on, but I, the sustainability environmental thing will be the dominant trend through the next decade, I think, once we're past this, obviously. And it's, it's very hard to see past this at the moment. Yeah, from, from our perspective, sustainability is key. We, we're doing a lot of focus on sustainability from the product perspective. We're the only manufacturer that does heat pump, uh, washing, tumble drying and dishwashing technology. But also we have a sustainability strategy for 2033 and will be CO2 neutral by the end of this year. So we are very much about sustainability and it's one of the questions of the brand. Think about our impact on the environment. When you buy into the brand, you actually buy into a brand that's being conscientious about the environment in the future. Well, look, some really interesting short-term and long-term stuff there, David. So thank you very much mm. uh, for that. It's really, really interesting. But, of course, there's one question that's coming. It's the one question everyone wants to know. What is your deserted kitchen island disc? This is quite a tough one, but I'm going back to the 1980s with a fabulous band from Manchester. I'm going to go with New Order and Truth Face. Wow. Now, that's good. Now, again, that's one of those songs that when you actually look at it, isn't very positive at all. But it's a fantastic record, and I remember dancing to that rather badly myself too. So (laughs) what a great choice. Thank you very much for that, David. Listen, thank you for sparing us a little bit of time today. I really do appreciate it, and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Bye now. A very big thank you to Darren Walker and David Knight. We'll be back very soon with another episode, but don't forget to check out our other Kitchen and Bathroom Design podcast by searching Kitchen and Bathroom Design in your podcast app or going to podcast.kbbreview.com. See you next time.